0: Hey y'all, what if you really could change your life? If there was a way to be healthy and intentional in every area of your life? Good news, there is. And we show you how each week on All of You Hold, hosted by me, Caroline Fossil, entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and speaker. Every episode is an in-depth look at how to help you get unstuck, be brave in your life choices, and have a meaningful life all either from my own experiences or from the experts I interview. My goal is to help you build a healthy, connected, and intentional life that fulfills your greatest purpose. Today on the show, we have the honor and privilege of talking with the lovely Kate Cavanaugh. I love Kate and her story because I really resonate with it. We both were vegetarians at an early age because of how we felt about animals and the treatment of animals and environmental concerns. And it's really cool to see how both of us have really morphed into this ancestral living instead of vegetarianism. And so we're going to talk about our connection to animals and to the land and how soil health can truly affect the nutritional density of the food that we eat. Kate has always cared about animals and the land, whether it was when she opened Western Daughters Butcher Shop in 2013 or when three years ago she and her husband bought a farm in upstate New York and now they are the farmer's. And it's so fun to hear this whole story and how it played out. I think you're going to love this show. And we have so many links in the show notes, so be sure to check those out to learn more about Kate and what she's doing. Without further ado, let's chat with Kate. Welcome to the show, Kate. I am so thrilled to be chatting
1: with you today. Caroline, it's such a pleasure to be here.
0: (laughs) Yay. First, for listeners who don't know you yet, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Kate Kavanaugh, and I am the host of the Mind, Body, and Soil podcast. I've also been a butcher for the last 14 years and worked in regenerative agriculture, though we didn't always call it that, Yeah, the last 14 years as well. I'm also a nutrition therapist and a farmer. I have my own small farm where I raise and process all of the meat that I eat inside of the year.
0: Yay. I know. I can't wait to talk about all of those things. One thing going back a long time ago in your story, one thing that you and I share, and I found that this happens a lot with people in this space, is that we were both vegetarians at an early age. I became a vegetarian in third grade. So I think it was like two years and you did too. So what led you to
1: that conclusion when you were so young? Yeah. So I began my vegetarian journey at age five and One of the things I like to explain to people is that I had a lot of death in my household growing up, and I really viewed this as a thing that I could control. And I think that Mm -hmm. this isn't an unfamiliar story, right, Mm -hmm. that food is the only thing that we can control in our lives. And that really led me into vegetarianism, along with this sort of avoidance of death. Mm. And this shifted throughout time. As I was a teenager, it really grew into something that was more environmentally motivated, mm-hmm. that it had a different social component. And I found myself, like so many, probably like yourself, having a lot of health issues in my late teens and early 20s and mm-hmm. wanting to go back to eating meat. Yeah. Yeah.
0: First of all, I didn't realize you were five. I feel like that's next level. And wise, I know you have a different view of it now looking back, but like to be five years old and to be thinking about avoiding death and how you can control that, man, that's next level. So then in your 20s, you started eating meat again. Can you tell us about that process? And It sounds like health played a part, which it usually does, but like how
1: did you decide that? How did you feel? When you started eating meat again, Yeah, the decision was really health motivated. I was having a lot of gastrointestinal issues. I was having issues with anxiety, with Mm -hmm. depression, and with overall fatigue. And I knew that if I was going to eat meat again, I wanted to be as connected as possible to that system. Mm -hmm. And that led me to seek out relationships with local farmers and ranchers who were using what we termed at the time holistic land management practices, what we think of now as regenerative. Mm -hmm. and getting a chance to shake their hands and to meet them and to see the way that they were raising animals. And I just became fascinated with our entire food system from that Mm -hmm. lens and began eating meat. And what I found was that as my body began to heal and Mm -hmm. I began to feel better, I was also witnessing and observing that these animals on these holistically managed landscapes were also architectural protecting art- healing yeah. in those landscapes. And yeah. so I saw this mirror between meat's power to heal land and bodies. Yeah, no, it's so
0: great. Yeah, I definitely remember having that thought of okay, if we're going to eat meat, and my transition because I was also a vegetarian in my twenties as well, and my transition was when my daughter started eating solids, and I just had this crisis of I just can't be feeding her soybeans. <laughs> this is not what she was meant to eat. And so we took a very like Weston A. Price kind of approach to like ancestral eating with her at the beginning. But I remember too feeling that we can't just go. For from being vegetarian. I feel like it's impossible to go from being vegetarian to just like Tyson chicken tenderloins that are frozen. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just- Absolutely. You just can't do it. Like you have to- you have such an awareness of the cost of eating meat. And yeah, we had such a desire. I told my husband, like, if we're eating meat, it has to be like the best of the best, which back in 2013, which is like around the same time as you, like it was hard to find and it was hard to understand. Unless you are going direct to farmer, it was really hard to find the highest quality meat available. So, in that vein, you opened Western Daughter's Butcher Shop in 2013. So, yeah. I want to know, yeah, like how did that journey unfold? It sounded like it sounds like you were already establishing those relationships, but you still own this butcher shop to this day. And what is your ultimate goal with this butcher shop?
1: I think that's a good question. And I think that's changed over the years, right? Mm -hmm. Western Daughters turns 10. And at the beginning, what I really wanted to do was find a way to support farmers and ranchers that were working with these holistic land management practices where they didn't have to go direct to consumer if they didn't want to. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. farmers and ranchers are not marketers. They do not have time to drive back and forth between multiple farmers markets that might be hours away from Mm -hmm. their farm. Farm that really takes them away from what they love doing. And so we really wanted to provide a space where we could connect urban and rural environments and where we could tell stories yeah. in both directions, where we could tell the stories of these farmers and ranchers to our customers and where we could tell our farmers and ranchers about the healing journeys and the way yeah. that this meat was impacting our customers. And I think that is still very much the goal of Western Daughters is to support regenerative agriculture along the front range. And within yeah. the last 10 years, we've put over $6 million back into the oh hands of farmers and ranchers because over 50 cents of every dollar you spend goes back to a farm or a ranch. Yeah, And keeps that within both the monetary and environmental ecosystem Mm -hmm. that we're a part of. And going forward, that is still very much our goal and to find a space where we are promoting both environmental and financial sustainability for farmers and ranchers, which farmers and ranchers in this country, their average margin is one and a half percent. And so this is a very small, very tight margin you spend around 7 to 11 cents of every dollar that you spend at the grocery store is going to make it back to a farmer or rancher. Right, And so we really want to find how do we create a sustainable system in multiple different ways.
0: Yeah, no, that's so amazing. And I feel like in the last 10 years, it's crazy that it's been that long, but in the last 10 years, there have been some places where you can go online and you can get meat delivered to your door and stuff like that. But I think the the thing that makes Western Daughters so amazing, and I can speak for myself because I live in Denver, is that it is the local aspect. It's not like you're helping some random farmer that maybe does tens of millions of dollars. It's like your local farmer that's an hour away. And so I love the local aspect of it. And it's even like that extra step of environmentally friendly that like the meat is the whole animals are coming to you. You're processing the meat right there versus we don't even think about the transportation cost and all of the fuel that comes with that and all that stuff. So like the local aspect is so awesome. And yeah, I want to talk a little bit about your business groundwork because I feel like the question I get the most because I push very strongly for Know Your Farmers and find out ways to meet your farmers locally source your food locally but it can be so overwhelming and even when we were trying to do this probably about a year ago it felt so overwhelming to figure it out so it sounds like your website groundwork is taking the work out of that for the consumer so can you tell us
1: a little bit about that yeah. So I think that this is really important because I think that there are a lot of farmers that are looking for ways to connect with consumers. And I think there are a lot of consumers that are trying to find a farmer that fits the values that they want for their family's food. And so we built this website, Groundwork, and this little annex called Near Home, which we can link to in the show notes, I'm sure. Yeah, for where sure. Where you can find a farmer near you. And so there are over 2,000 farmers and ranchers on the site that I I personally went through every single website to look at their practices and make sure that they were meeting our standards to the best of our ability, Yeah, where you have all ruminants. And so these are going to be things like cattle, sheep, goat, bison are 100% grass fed and grass finished, never fed grain. So good. And that- pork and chicken and anything else is pasture raised. And there's a set of filters where you can filter by if you're looking for a certain certification like biodynamic or Mm -hmm. Savory's ecological outcome verification, you can find that if you're looking for a specific species, if you're looking for bison or wild boar, you can find that might not be near you, but good to get that lens. And then you can reach out directly to that farmer so that you can purchase meat. Directly from them. And I actually think that this is going to be one of the best things that we can do for our health and for our food system. I know my husband and I have talked a lot about that cooking our food kind of sits at the middle of three major problems that we're Mm -hmm. facing as a society. We have a lot of issues with agriculture and really wanting to support more regenerative, more holistic practices within that space. Yeah, We really want to support our health. And we know that there are all of these ingredients in our food when we eat it out that are a total mystery, lots of yeah, sugars, lots totally. of seed oils. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is a space where we can connect back in both to our communities yeah. and just to our families around mm-hmm. the dinner table. So yeah. I really think that this is a powerful tool.
0: No, I think it's so great. And I love that in all of the things that you put out, you're always talking about connection. And I just feel so passionately that like connections, the answer to literally all problems. And we're so disconnected from what we eat. And I remember the panic of 2020 and... People had this realization of, wait, where does my food come from? (laughs) I don't even know what's showing up at Kroger, King Super, wherever. Like, how does that even get there? We're so disconnected from – seasons, right? Like we just expect Mm -hmm. raspberries to always be at Costco because they always are. And so I think that this connection is so great, not only to like where does our food come from, but even above and beyond, like we have a farm here in Denver that I actually need to connect them to. And we get our raw milk from them. And we also get half cow from them. And we could, I took the kids and we met the cows, right? And so even just... Having that understanding so that your child's not at school, someone asks them, where does a hamburger come from? And they say, McDonald's. And then you say, no, not McDonald's. They say, oh, the grocery. You say, no, no, not the grocery. They're like, I don't know. Like having an understanding of the whole life cycle too of an animal. Yeah. I think it's so great. And I think that's where true like food stability
1: will come from too. I agree. We have a very disembodied view of where our food comes from and yeah. this sort of sterile view. We go into <laughs> the grocery store and there are these little hermetically sealed packages of pork chops, and it makes right. it feel as if this came from a pork chop tree somewhere. Right, for sure. And I think it, one of the things that I think a lot about is that we have been connected to our food very intimately for most of human history. Oh, for sure. You know, Two to three hundred thousand years of modern Homo sapien. Right hunting and foraging and processing our food and eating it around a campfire would have comprised most of our day. Right, And even past the agricultural revolution, 11 to 13,000 years ago, Mm -hmm. we were still really connected with our food up until about World War II when we really see this mass exodus for more rural communities and into food convenience. And so I actually think that connecting with our food is a part of what makes us human.
0: No, I couldn't agree anymore. And it's interesting being in an urban environment myself, like trying to figure out how can we bring that in a little bit. And so it does look like knowing our farmers, it looks like going to the farm, even if we don't have one ourselves yet, (laughs) hopefully one day we will. And like gardening, I feel like most people can have a garden, right? Even if it's an herb garden or whatever, but it was last year was our first garden here in Colorado. And it was so precious to watch the kids. Like they're like, do you see the tiny watermelons? Do you see? It's just it's just so amazing. And also, too, like I know you can speak to the appreciation. Like we got one radish and we sliced it up real small and we put it on our salad. And I mean, a radish has never tasted so good. Like we just had this appreciation for like we made this. Whereas Probably. if I got a bunch of radishes from Whole Foods, I wouldn't feel that excited about it. But I really do think it is that connection and i think everything's alive everything has energy like the energy exchange if you will between i made this food and now i'm appreciating it and i'm eating it it's just yeah you can't beat
1: it yeah and this is something you're giving to your kids so kudos Mm -hmm. to you for gifting them with that Uh. connection Yeah. No. Yeah. We're trying. Yeah.
0: And they love food too, which is really special. Like our families even joke because you'll go to like maybe a family gathering and it's, okay, kiddos, like here's your chicken nuggets and French fries or whatever. And my kids are like, can we have the steak and the kale salad and like the green beans though? (laughs) Can we have the adult food? So you're clearly super passionate about regenerative agriculture and land management and all of the things. I love the way that you talk about soil health and life. So how far reaching do you feel like soil health is? Like what positive effect does
1: good quality soil have? Let's talk a little bit about soil first to just give people a little bit of context here. So in what I like to call the cosmos beneath our feet, it is just absolutely teeming with life. You have 1 billion microorganisms in a single teaspoon of soil. 10 billion viruses in one shovel full of soil, you're going to have miles of mycelial network. So these are fungi mm-hmm. that are a part of the communication network that exists inside the soil food web. And this is a really powerful space for transforming all of life, that inside the soil, these relationships between the members of the soil food web, whether those are little micro animals or micro arthropods or earthworms, or the bacteria that are there, are a part of what is communicating with the root of the plant in order to draw carbon and sugars from the air and sequester them inside the soil and in return give the plant these beautiful nutrients so it can continue this process of photosynthesis. And so they're really forming this beautiful connection for life. And we have lost a lot of that over the years. It's estimated that across the world we've lost about half of our topsoil endowment over the last 200 years. And so that represents about 2 billion tons of topsoil each year, just here in the United States, that is lost. And I think I was talking to Robbie Sampson, who's the CEO of Force of Nature, and he has this statistic where, you know, to envision that a truck carries about one ton to two tons of soil and yeah. it would wrap around the earth. It's something like thousands and thousands of times. Uh, Gosh! So we're losing a lot of this life. And with that, we're losing the ability for plants to have this nutrient flow where they're bringing nutrients into the plant tissues that we then eat or that (laughs) animals that we then eat. And we're seeing this Rapid decline in the nutrient density of our foods. And right. so estimates put a lot of different vegetables at around 50% or more less nutrient dense than they were 50 years ago, right. that put meat at 20% less nutrient dense. And so we are inextricably intertwined with this soil food web in a lot of ways. And I think we can see mirrors between humans and this beautiful network beneath our feet. We can Mm -hmm. see mirrors in the loss of soil biodiversity and the loss of biodiversity in the human microbiome. For sure, We can see a mirror in fertility, right? The soil food web is going to confer a lot of fertility, like that is fertility yeah. and fecundity. Mm-hmm. And to have that loss, we're seeing that mirrored in the way that sperm counts yeah. have dropped almost 50% it's in so the last 50 years. Testosterone has dropped. Mm-hmm. There is a massive increase in women that are struggling to conceive. And we are connected to and part of this web of life. And Mm -hmm. it's important to think about what it means to nourish that and what it means to nourish ourselves.
0: Yeah. It's crazy because I feel like when I was vegetarian in my twenties, it was like, oh, but how was that animal treated? Like that was the question. And now in this like ancestral regenerative space, it's not just what are we eating? It's what are we eating? (laughs) What What are the bison eating? And what are those plants eating in the soil? And so it's four steps more than it seems like it should be. But it's so cool to see how the regenerative process of all the things that soil needs to nourish things are in the poop of the animals that are grazing that land and then their feet put it into the soil. And when you're not Taking the topsoil off, and you're not tilling, and all of these things like the way that it naturally would work is
1: how it works best. Like, what a concept! (laughs) What a concept, and I think that's really the definition of regenerative is that we are doing our best to steward and to mimic the natural processes that Earth wants to undergo, Mm. where there is no waste, right? Like, the urine and manure from those Mm -hmm. animals is a part of. Fertilizing and re-inoculating the mm-hmm. earth with microbes, where our bodies—and I love to point this out—when we use synthetic fertilizers, mm-hmm. it's NPK. Yeah. And so nitrogen is really rich in the blood of animals. Potassium yeah. is really rich in the tissues, and phosphorus is incredibly rich in the bones of animals. But yeah. we now either with nitrogen, we split atoms through the Haber-Bosch process, which is something that plants naturally do. They naturally split nitrogen atoms out of the air. And then nitrogenous bacteria in the soil are going to be a part of moving that through nutrient cycles. But for something like phosphorus, we mine phosphorus all over the earth and are actually running out of phosphorus to apply back to soils. And so everything... That we do is this process of extraction and this process of importing fertility. Yeah. Whereas when we can try to get back in that mimicry, we are working within the context that nature has so beautifully provided us. Yeah,
0: 100%. So up until this point, I only know of small ish farms that have regenerative practices. It's not like mega huge agriculture that's doing this. So do you feel like there's a way to like scale regenerative agriculture? Or is that also just like the wrong question? Like, no, we can't do that. What do you think? Like, how do we make this all farms?
1: I think this is a question we have to ask. And I think that it's something that we don't really know the answer to Mm. unless we start trying. And what I am seeing in this space is a resistance to trying because Mm. we're not sure exactly how it will work. But I truly think that this is something that can be scaled, especially when we return to a more local way of eating. Mm. That when we are eating from our local food shed and supporting the farms within those ecosystems, we can have small, medium, and maybe even larger regenerative farms that are working together with these holistic principles and have Mm -hmm. that widespread. And I think that what you see too is that over 40% of the earth's surface is non arable space. It's not attuned to growing crops. And that means that it's mostly grasslands and those grasslands co-evolved with ruminants in order to function where there is a symbiosis. Those ruminants need the grasslands, need the ruminants, and they're really creating this system that we can come in and steward. And so I do think it's possible I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And I think that we have to try. And right now what I see is that in the larger system within corporate or commodified agriculture Mm -hmm. is this idea that we're just going to skip the step where we try to get back in the cycles of nature and go directly to producing meat in a lab. No. and. I think one of the interesting things about this is that we've forgotten that whole context, right? That there's this entire relationship that happens between all these characters in the soil food web and the plants and the soil and the animals and the plants and the atmosphere. And we don't even know what that is conferring to us on a nutritional level. Mm, Yeah. And I don't think you can just reduce it to all of these parts and put it in a stainless steel vat no. with steel that's been mined from iron right. using all of these trucks and yeah. tractors that are using petroleum products right, exactly. in order to fuel them. And I like to trace these things back and do some energy accounting and be like, is this really better? And there's a beautiful study actually that was done. There's a gentleman named Wes Jackson who has really thought about a lot of these things. He's a contemporary of Wendell Berry and he's in Kansas and he wrote a couple of beautiful books. But they did an energy accounting study on their farm where they looked at just how much energy went to mining iron to create their tractors. And so all of this, we can
0: tease all of this out. No, we can. And it goes back to the conversation about lack of connection that somehow we can be fooled into thinking that this factory is the future. This factory is health. And you see the pictures. I've seen pictures on Instagram of, we think this is good and good for the environment. It's just this crazy factory. Everything's metal. And they're like pooping out little like Beyond Meat patties versus like this bison grazing on the land it's always grazed on. Guys, which one seems better? It's not very complicated. You know what I mean? Yes. But also, I think the conversation is interesting that you talked about all of the land that couldn't be used for farming because it's so interesting. We think, I feel like the calculation that everybody does, and it seems very simple, but it's not, is what if we took all farmland and all grazing land and we raised beans and we raised XYZ and we raised these vegan type products. But the thing is, all of these ruminant animals could be on the side of the interstate on all this grassland that's not being used and we could put like hundreds of thousands, millions of bison, how much nutrient dense food could we put there? And it's regenerative, it's regenerating the land, it's doing the things that we're paying someone with a lawnmower to go graze the grasslands when we could just have bison. And I think the conversation's way more complex than mainstream media. It wants
1: to just make it good and evil and it's just not that simple. And I think we've lost our ability as a culture to dive into nuance. I think that we are stuck on these 90-second clips and these TikTok reels and this sort of disposable, quick information, as opposed to diving into what are very complex topics that require some nuance and some deep dives, some historical context, some ecological context, some social context, some nutritional context. For sure a big confluence there and it takes a minute to unpack it and so we yeah. have to be willing to go into these spaces just like you and I are right now yeah in order to tease out some of these details
0: Yeah. And that's so good. And even thinking about this, this fake meat it's the same in my brain. Like they want to just put in not even full peas. It's like pea protein. It's like this isolated, very specific thing. And it's just so interesting because my husband does regenerative medicine, hilariously similar name. And so they take PRP out of the blood, but It's not just PRP, right? It's a slew of things that are in the blood that you inject back into your body. And so when I talk to him, he's, yeah, it's the PRP, but it also could be these thousands of other things that are in the blood that we don't even, we don't even know that they're contributing, but we just know that it works. And so I think it's so much less about let's zap this pea protein into this protein burger fake thing. And so much more of, we think of meat as protein and it's, oh my gosh, it is so much more than just protein. And so the nutrition that's available to us and meat that is so life-giving and energy-giving to us, it's so much more than just a single ingredient protein. And let me just get this from this other single source that's been processed and changed and all these things. Everything's complex.
1: (laughs) I love that you actually touched on this idea of isolation because I think that this is something that we have a tendency to do. And I think that the way that culture has gone especially over the last 4 to 500 years has really inculcated us in this reductionist yeah. and mechanistic thinking where yeah. we're separating everything into individual parts and forgetting that the whole is greater than the yeah, sum of so its parts good. and going into this idea of systems thinking and you see this mm-hmm. whether it's in medicine where you have a cardiologist and a gastroenterologist and a neurologist and they're not talking to one another no and I I think that you see this in nutrition. You see this idea that we are just macros, maybe some trace minerals, and forgetting (laughs) that there are all of these secondary compounds, something that we might call phytochemicals. Mm -hmm. These are polyphenols, terpenes, Mm -hmm. carotenoids and something that Stefan Van Vliet and Fred provenza call the dark matter of nutrition mm. which i love and yeah. i think that you can go across any industry and find the ways in which we are taking this very reductionist siloed and isolated approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah and i've been thinking
0: just about that too for myself because i came into this nutrition space from a paleo mindset it was so much about reductionist and about reductionism of what am i not eating right? And so now I feel like I'm 10 years in and I'm starting to transition to know what am I eating? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And of course, I'm eating like whole foods and wonderful things. But like really starting to focus on nutritional density. And it's not just what you're not eating. It's very much also what are you eating? How are we really maximizing the calories that go in, especially considering what we talked about earlier, the nutritional density is just so much less. So our bodies are encouraged to eat more to get the same optimal daily value that we need.
1: So anyway, yeah, okay. Just for your listeners, the Bionutrient Institute does a really good job of putting data to that concept of nutrient density and satiety because you hit on something really important, which is as this nutrient density decreases, so does our satiety when we are eating those foods, which leads us to eating more of them. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many reasons why we're all obese in America, but that's one of them for sure. Yes. And it is complex. Again, this is also complex because what we consume isn't just the food we eat. It's Mm -hmm. the environments that we're in. It's the air we breathe. It's Mm -hmm. the media we're getting on our phones. Right.
0: all the things. Okay. Want to end with your farm because I'm so excited about this. So your latest endeavor is your personal farm in upstate New York. So how did you decide to take that leap? And you were already supporting local farmers and all the things. How did you decide to become one yourself?
1: I think this was always my goal. I have wanted (laughs) to live rurally since I was a little kid. I've always found modernity to be loud and noisy. And I don't mean in a decibel level way. I mean that I find it a little overwhelming. Yeah. And I wanted to uh, leave the city and seek a deeper connection Mm -hmm. with my food, with my environment, and a better understanding of everything that contained. And I wanted to raise all of my own meat at least. And so we embarked on this journey a little over three years ago, where we moved to upstate New York on our own small 65 acre farm where we raise all of our own meat. And so we raise grass fed and finished goat and beef and pasture raised pork and poultry. So we raise chickens, ducks and geese and we've been experimenting. I tell people all the time that I had this really special opportunity as a butcher to get to see animals lives from the inside out and Mm -hmm. to see how those raising practices impacted carcass composition and to see how that dark matter of nutrition showed up in the color of meat and the color of fat and the way that cycled through the seasons. And so when we came out here Year, we had some ideas of how we wanted to play with raising animals from, we do a corn, soy and sunflower free feed that we yeah. sprout for our pigs and our poultry. And so a couple of different things, it's going to be much fewer omega-6s or linoleic acid, polyunsaturated Mm -hmm. fatty acids, the PUFAs that we hear about that have increased so astronomically in our diet from something that was once one-to-one or one-to-two to to about one-to-16 to to 23, depending on where you're looking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And a part of this is the corn, soy, and sunflower in feed. And so we do this low poof of feed that we sprout, sprouting. If anybody yeah. has ever sprouted nuts at home or eaten yep. sourdough bread, part of that is getting rid of anti-nutrients, mm-hmm. things like lectins and phytates that are going to bind to some of these trace mineral compounds yep. like zinc inside of our guts and keep them from getting into our system. Yeah. And so we also sprout our feed for our animals And just playing around with what it means to connect to not just raising the animals, but also that process of death. And I think that Mm -hmm. as meat eaters and as humans here on Earth, that is a really important part of our system and just Mm -hmm. like. The ways that we farm have been obfuscated and hidden from us that we don't see. I think death has had a similar trajectory. And so it's been a real honor and something that is complex and nuanced Mm -hmm. to connect back to this idea that in the fall, when we harvest the majority of our animals, that is connecting in with death, which is a really important part of the cycle of life as we've talked about throughout this podcast.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's such a dream and such a goal. That's so awesome. Do you make enough meat only for you and your husband, or are you like locally selling it to other people or how's that work?
1: Yeah. So we're selling a little bit of our pork. It is mostly for us. We sell pork and we sell eggs, but we don't sell goat or beef at this time. Yeah. Cool. That's so awesome.
0: Thank you so much for being here today. I want to know where's the best place for people to connect with you further?
1: Yeah. So the best place to connect with me is going to be on Instagram. It's at Kate underscore Kavanaugh, K-A-T-E-K-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H. And really where I am present the most is on my podcast, Mind, Body, and Soil, where I say we explore the threads of what it means to be humans woven into this earth. We look some at agriculture, at history, at philosophy, at human health, and synthesize. I consider myself a bit of a synthesis and we synthesize all these different disciplines to just try to find that heart of connection. Yeah. And then it sounds like we'll get the links to Groundwork so yep. people can find a farmer yep. in the show notes and yes. you can find me there as well. Perfect. Okay. So
0: final question that I ask everybody. So when you're at the end of your life and you're looking back, what does
1: a successful life look like to you? Mm. I think in the spirit of this conversation, a successful life for me will be one that has been in search of connection and curiosity in a way that is no holds bar to Mm -hmm. really seek for that deeper relationship with all things and to follow my curiosity. I love it. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Caroline. Thank you, Kate,
0: for such an insightful and interesting conversation today. Listeners, you can find Kate in so many places. You can find her at kate underscore Kavanaugh on Instagram. Be sure to check out her Groundwork Collective to find farmers and ranchers near you. That is groundworkcollective.com. She also mentioned the Bionutrient Institute, which is a super cool concept to help us understand how to eat the most nutritionally dense food we can. That's at the bionutrientinstitute.org. All of these links and more are in the show notes, so be sure to check those out, and I will see you next week.